Okay, my name is Kim Cromer, and I own a farm called Prancing Pony Farm, and I do not raise ponies. I raise dairy goats and the Marama Sheepdogs, and I have been a dog lover all my life um, since I was a little kid. My first dog was a boxer when I was a baby, <laughs> and um, I started grooming dogs when I was 14. I just walked into a dog grooming shop and asked if I could have a job sweeping up the dog here and they said no I could have a job bathing and brushing dogs so um, I actually encountered my first livestock guardian dogs do that job they were of course great Pyrenees and there were a couple of Kuvas um, but I didn't really know what a livestock guardian dog was um, so uh, always had dogs I used to breed Cocker Spaniels and I always planned to have a farm one day, um, I had horses since I was about 14 also, and I was planning to have a farm, but I got married um, when I was 19 or 18, 19, 19, got married, and my husband was in the Navy, and we just, like, moved all over the place, so I couldn't really have that farm except for we did have a short little time where we lived in Virginia, and we had a farm there. Um, but mostly we just moved around and I had my horses and I boarded them at boarding stables. And so we just kind of did that. And I always planned that when I one day did get my farm, I would have some type of like herding dog, like probably Australian shepherds. I really liked them a lot. Um, but what I always noticed where I boarded my dogs was that herding dogs chase and herd because that's what they are supposed to do so um over time i realized that wasn't gonna really work very well with smaller animals like goats and chickens and that's when i as i was getting closer to my husband retiring that's when i started hearing about livestock guardian dog dogs and i realized that was actually the type of dog i needed but i didn't really know anything about breeds um so we bought this farm we had a farm in virginia um for a few years um but we sold that farm and moved back to california and so while i was out there that's where i experienced predator problems because we did have goats on that farm and we had our horses and we had poultry and i i uh, you know started realizing predators could be a problem so that's what kind of got me knowing that i had to have something for protection and coyote coyotes are very bad here where we live um and a lot of the boarding stables where I boarded my horses, you know, if you had chickens and you leave them outside one night without shutting them in the coop, you won't have chickens tomorrow. Um, so we were buying this farm and we bought it at the end of 2015. And I, I was like, okay, I'm getting some goats because I'd already, um, you know, arranged to buy some goats and they were going to come home in early January, 2016. And I was really concerned about how I was going to keep them alive. <laughs> um, and so I just started looking around at different dogs and I went on Craigslist and I called and I, whatever ads were there and mostly what I saw was Great Pyrenees and I found I narrowed it down to two breeders one had Great Pyrenees and she was a the both of these breeders um the Great Pyrenees breeder had registered Great Pyrenees and then I found a Marima breeder who had his dogs were registered but he wasn't registering the puppies at that time but he had Marimas and he had a um he has an Angora goat farm in Eureka, California. And so I talked to both of these breeders and, you know, the Great Pyrenees breeder was like, well, they are hard to keep in, but, you know, with six strands of barbed wire and, you know, all this stuff, we can kind of do it. And she kept telling me how there were certain dogs that she had problems. They were killing stock and, you know, and that's what I had heard is that sometimes because Great Pyrenees have been used for, companion dogs and show dogs they're not always um they don't always have the working instinct still in them and that they are pretty hard to contain um they call them the great wanderies <laughs> and the disappear and so you know that's what she was saying and that's also what the marima breeder was telling me about great pyrenees and he was telling me how his marimas stayed put and they were fantastic with the, the you know the goats and just you know wonderful dogs and he's the one that convinced me i'm like sold <laughs> you know that's what i need and so 
I bought my first marimba from him, um, and I still own that dog. His name is Olaf. And um, he came home. He was five months old. He went right in with my goats because he'd been born with goats, and he knew what goats were, and he was just a fantastic dog. And I always say I got into marimbas by accident, um, but I... I always loved Cocker Spaniels. They were always my favorite dog. And as a dog groomer, I'd been around a lot of different types of dogs, but I never had a dog that I loved as much as Cocker Spaniels and never enough to want to breed. And it wasn't until I encountered Marimas that I found my new favorite breed. Mm-hmm. And I just fell in love with the dogs. Mm-hmm. They're just um, a dog that would lay down its life to protect an animal of another species is just really... Um, something special so um yeah they were originated in italy central italy um and they go back to ancient times um you know lots of uh stories and depictions and whatever um they were basically what they were bred for is to protect sheep from wolves and that's still what they do in Italy. Not as much because shepherding is not as, you know, sheep farming is not as big of a thing there as it used to be. But that's what they do. Um, they, they fight off wolves. And some people, they're one of the smaller livestock guardian dog breeds. So some people think that they can't, um, you know, they're not big enough for some serious predators. But uh, in my opinion, a wolf is a pretty serious predator. So, um, yeah, that's where they originated. And they... In the 1970s, they came to America as part of a, a livestock guardian dog um, project, like experiment, um, Hampshire College, Raymond Coppinger. And um, they were trying out non-lethal predator, you know, control methods. And they brought Marimas along with some other breeds over. Um, and there's some really fascinating books and information on that. And... Um, they're not an AKC breed. They're registered by the Marima Sheepdog Club of, I'm sorry, Marima Sheepdog Club of America, mm-hmm. and um, I don't know exactly when they started registering the dogs, but I think they've been around about thirty years or so. Um, so they still are just. They're also registered by the UKC, but the Marima Sheepdog Club of America is the main registry, mm-hmm. and people that breed them like it that way and want it to stay that way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they feel like, you know, AKC, a lot of times dogs, that, especially working dogs that get into the AKC world become show dogs and they lose a lot of their working instinct. So, mm-hmm. I don't know. <laughs> what is the, uh, what is the, the supposed lineage? Is Do they have a great, Pyrenees mixed into them oh, originally and they're they're related so they're all those white dogs there's you know several different they call them the great white dogs mm-hmm. um so great Pyrenees are from France and Marimas are from Italy and then there are um like the Kuvas and then there are some Turkish different um uh, what's it Akbash dogs different ones like that um so yeah they're not I mean, they're probably all related as far as way back, back. This is, you know, before they had registries to really know which dog came from where. Um, um, well, they're actually rewriting the standard right now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you mean, you can go on and read the standard. They're very similar to Great Pyrenees as far as, you know, their body type and shape and all that. Great Pyrenees kind of tend to be a little bigger and great pyrenees can have some different color shadings and marimas are basically white although sometimes they'll have a little bit of like apricot or lemony kind of shading on their ears but not like the badger markings or the black spots or anything like some other you know like great pyrenees and a few other breeds do they're pretty much white Mm -hmm. um but as far as the size it's always been traditionally said that marimas were about 100 pounds for males and like 70 Five to 80 or 90 for females but most people's marimas these days are bigger than that or a lot of people's marimas are bigger than that like I have a couple of I have four breeding males and one of them is kind of young and I don't really know what his weight is but the three that are adults 
they're all probably between 130 and 150 pounds. And then I have females that are anywhere between maybe 70 to like 115, Mm -hmm. with most of them probably being in the 80 to 90 pound range. So actually I was contacted by one of the board members of the Marimma Club not too long ago asking me how much my dogs weighed because they were rewriting the standard because it doesn't really fit dogs. It's like humans. We all used to be smaller, but over time we've gotten bigger. So, but they have the long, you know, um, double coat and even the coat type is very different. It's, it's, I mean, I have my dogs, a lot of them look different. They look the same, but they look different. Mm -hmm. Um, so some of them have more of a slick coat. Some of them have a lot thicker coat. Um, their face shapes can be different. Um, just, um, cause they're, cause you know, we're breeding for working ability primarily. So even though we want good conformation, obviously a structurally sound dog is important, but I always say beauty is as beauty does. Mm-hmm. So if it can't work, <laughs> doesn't matter how perfect its confirmation is so right um well working ability is absolutely number one Mm -hmm. um i look for dogs that are safe and reliable and dependable with livestock first of all and protective of them there are there are people who are breeding dogs who are beautiful dogs and have good hip scores and have good um you know protective instincts but they're not safe um and a lot of that has to do with how you socialize the puppies um but it's genetics too. Um, it's, it's kind of both, but, um, so that's first. I mean, if, you know, if a dog, like I won't even breed a dog if it gets to maturity and I'm still, I've had dogs that I was, that were breeding candidates and I ended up spaying them because they're just not, um, safe with livestock or not safe enough. You know, they can get there, but if it takes forever and a lot of work to get them there, I don't want to breed that. Right. So that's first. And then I'm looking at, you know, good confirmation and all that. But we do pen hip testing. Um, nothing is bred until they have had their pen hip testing. Mm-hmm. Um, and OFA is good too. But for me, pen hip is the better. Mm-hmm. Um, it's more scientific and mathematical. And um, if I'm going to pay, uh, you know, a lot of money for the hip testing, I want it to be, it's a little more expensive. Mm-hmm. It's a lot more expensive actually. But um, it just gives you a really good um you know, look at their hips and everything. And that is a problem. I mean, there's um, young dogs being diagnosed with hip dysplasia because breeders aren't testing and aren't making good decisions. Um, so that, um, and, I've done, and I do DNA, like a bark testing or whatever, but there's not a lot of problems that marimas have that are picked up by those type of tests, but I think they're still good to do. Um, and also looking at, inbreeding coefficients and stuff like that to make because marimas are a small breed especially in america mm-hmm. so we try to keep the inbreeding as <laughs> low as possible mm-hmm. um and i have a lot of diversity in my program i actually i have dogs that i've gotten from breeders here in america and i also have an imported dog an imported male i haven't used him yet but um i imported him specifically to bring in some new genetics Uh, yes um i haven't owned a great pyrenees or any other livestock guardian Mm -hmm. dog breed so i can't really say what my experiences are with them i can Mm -hmm. only say what i've heard and you know like i said what i've heard is that great pyrenees tend to and a lot of livestock guardian breeds tend to patrol a lot more and kind of um, so they're more prone to wandering because they'll look out and see in the distance, oh, that's my territory. I got to go check it out. And then they go there and then they keep going and they keep going. Um, where Marimas are what's called close in guardians. So they tend to stick a lot closer to the herd or flock or whatever um, and just kind of hang out mostly with the animals. And then if they see something, you know, they'll go out and patrol and they'll go out and investigate, but then they come back. Mm-hmm. So um, they tend to be a lot more respectful of fencing. They still do need a fence. Like I get people that will say, oh, I don't have a fence, but I just have a big orchard. Can I have a marimba? And I'm like, nope, <laughs> you need a fence because they, they need a boundary. Um, but they're, they tend to really respect it and be um, 
you know, good with it. And even I have a couple of dogs that can jump the fence because I have a couple of small females and they just, um, I say they're nosy Mm -hmm. and sometimes they want to check out what's on the other side of the fence. But even when they have jumped the fence, they never wandered off. steps to make sure they can't do that because we live on a busy road and I don't want a dog get hit by a car or something like that. Um, but they're, yeah, I mean, my dogs can put their feet up on the fence and most of them wouldn't even think of going out. Um, so that, so, and they're just, I like a dog that's going to stay there and (laughs) stay close to the animals and, you know, really be, um, protective and, paying attention i have a friend who has anatolians and she loves her dogs but they're never home (laughs) they're always off you know Mm -hmm. wandering off checking out the she lives near a national park and they're always in the park going to visit people that are picnicking or whatever (laughs) Uh, she's like my dogs are gone again i'm like how can they guard your goats if they're never home right um so they're yeah i mean they're they're really great um they're super affectionate with people they know. Um, some of them are real friendly with other people, and some of them are more standoffish with strangers and need to get to know people. I personally prefer my dogs to not be super friendly with strangers because goat theft is sometimes a problem where I live, mm-hmm. and I want my dogs to um, not just let anybody walk in. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I... I I have a lot of customers that come all the time to pick up goats and pick up puppies and whatever. And my dogs will bark as soon as somebody comes. I call them my alarm system. And so they'll bark. Um, And then once they see that I'm out there and I'm talking to the person and everything is good, then they stop and they just go lay down and they're quiet and they're happy. Um, But don't walk into the pasture (laughs) without permission (laughs) Mm -hmm. because they wouldn't appreciate that. (laughs) So... Um, and let's say there is a, a coyote that gets in, gets too close. What are they like when they engage? Have you seen it or have you heard about it? I've seen it. Yes, I have seen it. Um, coyotes don't really go in my place anymore, but they used to when I just, I used to have fewer dogs. And so they would still kind of come up to the edges of the fence and kind of mess around. And especially in the spring when I had a lot of, um, that's when I have most of my baby goats born is in like February, March. And, um, they would kind of come as close as they could get. Um, and sometimes like I have a certain type of duck called the call ducks and all of my poultry are inside the pastures except for the call ducks and they can fly. So I can't keep them in. And I would buy the ducks and I'd start out with 25 or 30 ducks. And then by the end of the year, I'd have two or three, um, And same with barn cats. They would snatch the barn cats. So now that I've got more dogs and I've also extended my fencing to more of my property, I don't have as much of a problem. But a couple of years ago, I have this little area, we call it the cul-de-sac. And it's a little cutout area where we have a haystack there. And it has it's fenced on three sides so there's a barnyard on one side there's a big pasture on the back side and there's a smaller pasture on the other side and then the open side is the road and this coyote (laughs) came over there because there were baby goats over there and he walked up near that haystack thinking he was going to get an easy meal well there were dogs on all three sides there were probably two or three dogs on every side and all of a sudden the dogs were just going nuts because they saw that coyote and he got so scared. He just kept kind of running back and forth and he was trying and the dogs couldn't get him. They were behind the fence, but he didn't understand that. And the dogs kept matching every move he made and they were running back and forth on all the sides and just, you know, barking and growling and going nuts. And I was just standing there like yelling like mm-hmm. in shock that this was going on. All of a sudden that coyote got so scared he forgot where the road was and he jumped over the fence into the pasture, into my horse pasture where there were a few goats too. And I had one big adult male dog in there and I had a couple of like four to five month old puppies. Those, those dogs chased him across the pasture. He jumped over the fence and ran out the other side. And I swear he told his friends, don't ever go back there because I've never had a coyote come necklace again. Wow. <laughs> 
but I hear them a lot. Um, yeah, they're out there, you know, they're howling and it gets crazy, but, um, and if they, have you heard if, if, uh, Merrimack actually has to engage, it, it could dispatch of a Cody, no problem, correct? Oh, yeah, it could. I mean, it's never happened because they're just not going to come that close. That mm-hmm. that one only came that close by accident, but mm-hmm. they definitely could. If they can if they can fight off a wolf, then they're definitely going to fight off a coyote. Yeah. And, um, you know, sometimes my dogs get into fights between themselves. Um, we try to avoid that as much as possible, but it happens, and I've seen them fight each other, and there's no doubt in my mind that they could take out a coyote. And there's no doubt in my mind which ones would be the most likely to take out a coyote. And that coyote that came that day was lucky. He was in Simba's pasture and not one of the other dogs. Mm. Simba's big, but he's slower. Yeah. (laughs) And could you talk about the differences in personalities between the males and the females? Um, That's a big question that a lot of people ask um, about, like, working ability. And Mm -hmm. I don't really see any difference as far as gender there might be differences as far as individual dogs there there is differences you know for that but i think male and female both make equally good livestock guardian dogs mm-hmm. um and so it just depends on your individual situation your preferences um i do believe very very strongly in only working my dogs in at least pairs i never have a dog guarding by itself ever um and so a lot of times, if you're going to have a pair, it is it is oftentimes better to have either a male and female pair or possibly two males as long as they're neutered. Um, because two females, sometimes even two females that are, that are spayed, sometimes they just, they have, some of them get along, but they're less likely to get along than male-female. And even sometimes male-female will have their little scuffles too, um, but just seems like male female pairs are the the easiest Mm -hmm. um but as far as working ability they're both great i mean i've got it's kidding season right now i've got baby goats out there and they have two males i mean one male and two females guarding them right now Mm -hmm. there was a third female in there but i needed her some bolts i moved her so a lot (laughs) they shed a lot um but you know outside they don't shed or outside they shed, but it's it's like in a double-coated breed. They're going to shed seasonally, mm-hmm. so you're going to get a lot of that, especially in the spring, and then they'll shed again in the fall. All my dogs are shedding right now. The hair is just, <laughs> there's just clumps. Mm-hmm. Um, some of them, it depends on their coat. Some are, they just kind of naturally shed out really easily, and you don't have to do a whole lot to them. Other ones, they need kind of help. <laughs> you have to really do some grooming and um, help get that undercoat out, or it can get matted. Um, and I don't, I do not recommend shaving them down. Um, that double coat serves a purpose to insulate them and protect them from both cold and heat. Mm -hmm. Um, but if you have to, sometimes it has to be done, but it's best if you can get ahead of it and, you know, uh, brush it out and you can use a blower, um, like a a heavy duty, uh, dog blow dryer, bathing them and then blow drying them out or even blow drying them dry a lot of times we'll get a lot of that loose hair out mm-hmm. um so uh, but if you have one in the house and that's a another whole subject um they shed all year round so yeah. um so just yeah. yeah but as far as guardian dogs and and they shed mud <laughs> like they love the mud and the rain and they'll go out and they'll get so dirty and you just think oh my gosh that dog is a mess and when the coat dries the mud just falls off (laughs) Mm -hmm. it's pretty cool (laughs) and how well do they take the heat and the cold they take the cold extremely well um because they come from mountainous regions and that's just their natural you know natural climate um i've sold a lot of puppies to places like um massachusetts and you know, New Hampshire and Canada, and they have to have a little bit of extra protection for their dogs in the really bad weather, but still they do really well. They love the snow, Um, but they do fine too. Obviously it's not really their natural thing, but we live where we live. It gets really hot. We get to like 110, 115 at the peak of summer. And as long as they have 
good shade and plenty of water. Um, I like to give them little shallow horse troughs that they can stand, you know, filled with water that they can get in if they want to. A lot of them like to do that. So they'll get in that, take a little dip, um, and they like to dig a hole, you know, and make a nice little spot. And they do fine. I don't have any problems. Um, some people will say I can't have a marimba because it has too much hair and it's too hot, whatever. I'm like, let me tell you what it is hot in Central California in the summer. And I've never had a problem. I feel like my goats have more of a problem with the heat than my dogs do. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause goats are silly and they'll run around and get themselves all worked up and hot, right. you know, and goats hate water. So you can't just hose them down to cool them off. Uh-huh. So <laughs> the dogs, they, they, love the water mostly some of them don't but most of them will just go stand in the little you know wading pool or little short trough or whatever um, so are they more nocturnal yeah um they're still going to be awake and you know you walk out there during the day they're going to say hey you know and they're going to be fine but they're definitely more nocturnal um they do a lot of laying around in the daytime especially especially when it's hot you know they're just conserving their energy but they're definitely they're nocturnal more because predators are so um that's when they're up and and that's when you'll hear barking um because they're either barking at something or they're barking to warn stuff away um but they don't necessarily bark non-stop so um especially adult dogs you know they learn to be more discerning so a younger dog will bark more because it hasn't quite figured everything out yet. A single dog will bark more because it's feeling more uh, insecure. Um, but when you have older adult dogs, they've kind of figured things out and they know what to bark at and what to not bark at. at. So it's not. To me, I feel like a lot of my neighbor's companion dogs bark as much as my marimas do. Mm-hmm. So, And my own companion dogs bark as much as my marimas do. So. Right. <laughs> And, and I feel like the, the, the barking is, the sound of the barking gives me peace of mind because I know they're doing their job, so. Yeah, exactly. I, I have a livestock guardian dog, too. That it yeah. can be annoying, but um, <laughs> it definitely warns dirt bags right. and pred- four-legged predators to watch out. Right. Um. Back to the standard, just real quickly. What how what is a typical height of, of some of your dogs? Um, I haven't actually measured them, so I'm not sure. Yeah. Um, not, I could look it up and tell you right now, but you can do that yourself. I don't really know, but they're they range in height. I mean, I just kind of measure it by: Are you bigger than my goat or smaller than my goats? Most of them are way bigger than my goats, and I have medium sized goats. Um, well, I have small and medium size. I have many Nubians and Nigerian dwarfs. Um, so some of my, some of the males are real tall and some of the females are a little smaller. Um, and, uh, like I have a boxer, a female boxer and she's real small. Um, but she's probably, I don't know how tall she is, but anyway, my marimba puppies that are like five months old are already bigger than her. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so they, they grow fast. Um, like most of those puppies right now are probably 60 to 70 pounds and I don't know how tall they are I I don't know how tall my goats are either I haven't really <laughs> measured any of them well you're a true um they all of mine have done really well um I haven't really had any problems I've known people that have I know someone um who's had to have c-section on her dog I don't really know the details of why that happened but I haven't really had any problems with mine so far um most of the time, I would say an average litter is probably eight or nine. I have had a litter of 11 and a litter of 13. Mm. Um, and they did not have any problems at all. Um, when I have litters that size, I will weigh the puppies every day for at least a couple of weeks just to make sure everybody is um, gaining weight. And if there are any puppies that seem to be struggling a little bit, I might supplement them. Even, even a pup, even a litter, I've started doing it even with a litter of like nine or so, even like I'll weigh all the puppies in the beginning, but then if I have a bigger litter, I'll kind of extend it longer. Um, and so sometimes I'll supplement 
once or twice a day um, just to make sure they're gaining. But usually I don't have to. Um, and the moms whelp easily, and um, they're usually good moms. They do get to a point, and this is true with any dog, um, they'll get to a point where they're done. Yeah. <laughs> they're like, I'm done with these puppies. And, you know, I don't let my puppies go until they're at least 12 weeks old. And I think it's very important for the puppies to learn um, from adult dogs how to be guardians and learn from the livestock, too, especially livestock. I consider um, the livestock the trainers, too. Um, so I learned, I learned early on. Well, my first dogs were just really great moms and they were very patient and whatever but then I had a dog here and there that was like okay those puppies are eight or nine weeks old and she's getting snappy with them or whatever and so I learned and also had the advice of my breeder or my friend um, who used to be a breeder and now is a trainer that it's time to let mama have a go back to work Mm -hmm. and bring in a puppy mentor so I'll bring in I have certain adult dogs that are just really great with puppies so I'll bring one of them in and let the mom you know, go back and do her job. And one of those puppy mentors, actually one of my very best one is my first female marimba that I got. Um, and she's just really great and really patient. The puppies can jump all over her and bite on her, you know, whatever. And she's, she doesn't care. So I'll bring that dog in. Um, and you know, the puppies can continue learning without, (laughs) Mm -hmm. because you don't want, there are people who believe that you should, um, that the adult dogs teach the puppies lessons by being kind of aggressive with them and, you know, getting after them and biting them and teaching them manners and whatever. I absolutely do not believe in that. Um, If you allow adult dogs to be aggressive with puppies, you teach puppies to either be aggressive or be fearful or both. And that can lead to a lot of problems. So that's why any dog that can, you know, I don't mind if the puppy's getting you know, too rough or something, and they kind of tell them off. But if a dog is consistently getting aggressive with the puppy, I take I take them away. You know, I change the situation um, because that's just not to me and to a lot of people that I respect. That's not the right way to train puppies. Um, so I strongly believe that the puppies need to be near livestock as soon as possible. Um, as early as possible, but they they also need to be safe. Um, So I started out from my very first litter, whelping my puppies in my goat barn. And I had a stall set up where they were near the the goats and they could see them and hear them and smell them from the time they were little tiny. And then gradually they were introduced into the herd. Um, And I just, you know, that worked really well until I started breeding more and until I started running into times of year that weren't, you know, it was either really, really cold or really, really hot and it was just difficult. And some people will bring their puppies in the house and raise them and then bring them out with the livestock when they're older. And for me, that's just not right. They, you know, puppies have critical socialization windows. And if you don't get them out with the livestock somewhere, at least by the time they're three or four weeks old, you've lost it if you wait till they're eight nine ten weeks old you've missed it you'll never get that back again that's the most important time so when i started having problems with you know the weather and whatever i decided to build a dedicated whelping facility so i have this um, building that we had built and i call it my puppy parlor because i also milk my goats in there and um it's set up so that it has indoor outdoor kennels that go out into the goat pasture and it's all nice and it can be clean as concrete floor and you know it's got everything it's got i have a puppy incubator and heating incubator and an oxygen unit if i have any puppies that have um a little bit of trouble in the beginning you know i could put them in there and that'll pink them up really fast um it's got grooming equipment and a grooming tub and all the stuff I need so the puppies are well there the goats come and go and they're nearby and then as the puppies grow you know we take them out and we integrate them in with the herd they spend time more and more as they get bigger as they start coming out of the whelping box and everything and I also believe that puppies need um 
other socialization. So they need the socialization with the livestock, but they also need socialization with people. They need all kinds of novel experiences. They need positive experiences, you know, exposed to as many things as possible. So that's where I really work a lot. Um, we use a program called Puppy Culture that's um, all about that positive start for puppies and socialization and all that kind of stuff. We use um, clicker training. Um, we only use positive reinforcement training. So so I'm exposing the puppies to all different kinds of stuff. Um, we have music in there. We have sounds like, you know, vehicle sounds and thunderstorm sounds and all kinds of stuff. The Amazon Alexa thing is really useful for playing all kinds of interesting um, sounds and stuff like that. Um, and it's, it's more of just facilitating what they need and supervising and exposing them to a lot of different stuff. Mm -hmm. um, they really, uh, most of their learning is passive learning. They're watching the goats, they're watching the nearby chickens, they're learning the language of the animals, they're watching the adult dogs, and they're just kind of passively learning. But there's a lot of other stuff you can add to that. It's very valuable because it seems like with livestock guardian dogs there's either people that raise them as companion dogs and they don't really give them any exposure to livestock or they just throw them out with the livestock and don't give them any exposure to everything else and they need both because mm -hmm. um, most of these dogs most of these dogs are not you know most farms are not thousands of acres and you know these dogs are integrated into family life and smaller farms and whatever and they need to learn to get along in that type of environment they need to be safe if you take them to the vet or whatever you know and that's where i experienced with my first marimba he just kind of he was really good with the goats but the guy didn't really handle him and he just kind of he was a little he wasn't aggressive at all but he just was really scared mm -hmm. you know and, it, and uh, i think you can uh suppress it by doing the wrong thing yes like there are breeders who and I have bought dogs from such breeders who, unfortunately, when I didn't understand, um, that raised their dogs as companion dogs, basically. And so if they're not getting that exposure when they're young, they've missed those critical socialization windows. And it really can be hard for them to, they can turn out to be okay livestock guardian dogs, but they never live up to their full potential because they just had a whole different socialization. Um, they're looking for, you know, the patio or the pool or the, you know, the house, the couch, whatever. And they're like, what are these funny looking animals running around here? So, um, even, yeah. Uh, yeah, what, what I've noticed, here's another thing I've noticed. I've noticed that livestock guardian dogs have more confidence and they're yeah. less boy they're less boisterous and they're less boastful. You know what I mean? Yeah. They don't rely yeah. on their looks. They're confident in their abilities and if something happens, they will they will take care of it. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. I've had people that I um either turn turned away from the beginning or or kind of dissuaded or I've had people who I took a reservation fee and I don't usually refund reservation fees, but a few times I've been like, you know what, this isn't the right situation. Here's your money back. Mm -hmm. um, it doesn't happen very often because I do a, a really good job of um, communicating with people before we get to that process. I have a puppy questionnaire with like a million questions yeah. and all those questions came up because of situations. Some of those questions are on there specifically because of people that I later said, um, no, thank you. Uh -huh. Um, so like one person, she wanted to, she said she had livestock and I think she did and she had some livestock guardian dog breeds, but she also bred doodles and I do not have a problem with doodles, mm -hmm. but I have a huge problem with crossing any livestock guardian dog with any non-livestock guardian dog because you get a very, um, you don't know what you're going to get. You know, you're not going to get a dog that can be trusted to guard the stock and herd it. It just doesn't work that way. So I started getting the feeling that she was wanting to buy, she wanted a female and she wanted a specific female, you know, from one of my specific dogs. And I just was like, uh, uh, she's planning to breed Marimba Doodles. We're not going there. So I just told her, hey, 
I don't have any females available. Do you want a male? And she said, no, I'll wait for your next litter. And I said, no, I think we're just going to, here's your money back. Mm -hmm. Um, So I've had that type of situation. I had another situation where someone was going to, he had a really big ranch in Texas. And he was like, we have like dogs in 20 dog packs. And, you know, they're, we go out and check on them once a month and that type of thing. And at first I said yes. And then the more I was like, "Uh uh-uh. I think that situation is great for a lot of dogs, but that's not how I raise my dog. Mm-hmm. And I just can't imagine sending my puppies who get this much different experience and saying, okay, now you're just out on the range, you know? So, um, I mean, they can do that, but most of my puppies go to smaller farm. I mean, some have a small farm is a hundred acres, but most of them are probably a couple acres to like 20 mm-hmm. you know and they're more like a family doing their little homestead thing yeah. you know or raising some some sheep or some chickens or i mean some are you know just more like they're definitely livestock guardian dogs but they're also very much part of the family yeah um, which is what my dogs are um you know every single one of my dogs meets me at the gate with a wagging tail and a smiling face every day I go around and feed all my dogs. My son feeds the goats and horses, and I feed the dogs. And they're all very happy to see me and be excited. We'll do a little clicker training sometimes, whatever. And then they go back and do their job. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's the type of homes I look for for my dogs. And that's the type of – I feel like there's – not every breeder is right for every um, person. Mm -hmm. So people gravitate to what they're, you know, what they're looking for, Mm -hmm. you know you're doing if you're using your dogs that's what i tell people is really important if however you want to use your dogs find a breeder that uses their dogs that way so if you want your dogs to guard your pool or your patio you know or whatever find that breeder there are breeders out there that do that but if you want your dogs to be out there with your baby goats or your chickens or your sheep or whatever and be perfectly safe then find a breeder that raises and uses their dogs that way um and I have about, I have over 100 baby goats a year. That's my biggest thing. Mm-hmm. I keep saying I'm going to cut back, but <laughs> it doesn't ever happen. Right. Um, so that's my most important thing. I also have um, chickens, ducks, geese, turkeys. I got the turkeys just to train puppies. Um, I have horses and a mini donkey and many horses. Um, but those are all just kind of pets. The goats are the main thing. Um, so... Yeah, so I've so I've only I've only turned down. Oh, I ha- I I did. I have turned down other people that wanted them as companions. Um, I've kind of relaxed on that a little bit more lately. In the beginning, it was like nope, 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 and I've relaxed on it a little bit more recently. Um, but in the beginning, I I just it was an automatic no. Now it's more of a I'll look at each situation. So. Because I raise my puppies um, as definitely working dogs, but I also give them a lot of, you know, interaction and positive training and all Mm -hmm. that kind of stuff. They're both human and livestock driven. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, they love to go to work, but they also want to come over and say hello. And it's a lot of controversy among the Marema Uh world about whether Marema should even be companion dogs. Mm -hmm. I think it's the only livestock guardian dog breed where (laughs) it's kind of, a hot topic um and the marimba sheepdog club of america doesn't officially endorse them as companions but there are lots of marimbas as companions so mm-hmm. somebody's doing it they're just not admitting it you know somebody's right. selling them to companion homes they're just not admitting it and traditionally in italy they've always in other countries they've always served both purposes so when i first got um into marimas i heard that oh they can't be companion dogs don't you know that'll ruin them whatever and so i just kind of drank the kool-aid basically and that's what i did but the more i had the dogs the more i realized okay they're still dogs you know they're they're a different kind of dog but they're still a dog Mm -hmm. and you know in reality that's how a lot of my families you know they're not they're they're working dogs but they still are definitely a part of the family and they have a bond with humans and they can bond with humans and still bond with livestock Mm -hmm. so when i did start kind of relaxing a little bit on that it was the dogs that convinced me i had some people who bought the dog and had a farm and then they sold the farm and they 
kept the dog and you know the dog adjusted fantastically to that life mm-hmm. um and then i had people who you know if somebody comes to me and says i want a marima and i say why and they say well it's just so fluffy and cute that's not the right answer <laughs> you know yeah <laughs> it's it's your answer but it's not the right answer for me um but there are good answers so anyway i have I have said yes a few times and it has worked out wonderfully. And here's my, what the way I see it. If that dog, it, I, so it seems like the people who do sell any kind of livestock guardian dog to a pet home say, I will sell my failed livestock guardian dogs to a pet home. In my opinion, if I can't trust that dog to guard chickens, I am not putting it in a family to guard children. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I might put it with a, with an adult, you know, guy who likes to go hiking or whatever, but I'm not going to put it in a family. Right. Um, so it, whenever I have placed a dog in a companion home, I raise them exactly the same. They mm-hmm. get the same socialization, the same beginning with livestock. I look for the exact same temperaments. Um, and, you know, the parents... Um, most of those dogs have been my most, the parents have been my best guardian dogs. You know, their puppies also made great companions. And there's only a few of them, but um, they've just done wonderfully. And I actually have a companion marima of my own now. Mm -hmm. Um, My daughter got married a couple of years ago and her husband, you know, they were wanting to get a dog for their family and have a dog named Polar. I bred her. She's from my second Marima litter and Polar was having puppies right before my daughter was getting married. And Jamie, my daughter actually is the one that convinced me to keep Polar at the time. I wasn't planning to keep a puppy from that litter and she convinced me to keep her. And it was the best, (laughs) I always say it was the best thing she ever did because Polar is absolutely my best livestock guardian dog. Um, and so Polar was having puppies and the sire is Simba, one of my, um, registered males polar is not registered and um my son-in-law joshua really loves simba and so we talked about it a lot and they were considering a german shepherd because joshua has always had german shepherds but they really you know he really loved simba and jamie polar was her dog but she was going to be moving and she couldn't take her dog obviously because i wouldn't give polar up yeah and so they ended up getting a puppy and his name is titus and um he was you know he was five months old when they got finally you know got married and got their house and everything and they took him and they lived at camp pendleton marine base Mm -hmm. Uh, and he just did fantastically he didn't have any problems at all Um, my daughter had a boxer and they were best buddies and she'd take him to the dog park and she'd take him on dog walks and you know walks and He's just a wonderful dog. Um, so I, it was kind of almost an experiment too, because I always considered getting, keeping one of my puppies as a companion dog myself, but I already have three companion dogs, so I didn't really need a fourth dog in the house. Um, now I have them. <laughs> but um, I, I thought, you know, if my daughter takes him, I can see how it goes. And if there is a problem, he can always come home. Come home. You know, because that was part of what I also told people. If I get, if I sell you a companion dog and it doesn't work out, what am I going to do with it? Because my dogs are guardian dogs. I can't just necessarily put it out there with livestock if I don't know, you know, if it's missed out on time with the stock or whatever. Mm-hmm. So um, it, was, it was kind of an experiment and it was great. I mean, he did wonderfully and there was no problem at all. But um, last, uh, my daughter and her husband, got transferred recently to North Carolina Mm. Um, he's in the Marines and so she has you know they have a little one-year-old baby and they were transferring and she just felt like it was uh, a lot (laughs) for her Um, and she was worried that with Joshua deploying that she would get out there and not be able to handle and at the time she had um, Emmett her boxer but he died recently Um, so she was just stressing about that and Mm. so she asked me if i would take him back whether it's permanent or temporary we don't really know yet but she said you know would you take him back and i have a lifetime return policy on my puppies anyway if anybody ever can't keep their puppy 
or dog, they can always come back to me. So, of course, I said absolutely yes. But then I was like, well, what am I going to do with him? Because <laughs> he's been living in, you know, uh, Navy Marine housing for two years. He's two years old. Um, and I wasn't really worried about him with the livestock because he's a wonderful dog. Um, but I just felt like he's lived that life. And um, so I just thought, well, we'll see how he goes. He'll live in my house and we'll see how he does. And he's just a wonderful dog. He just, he's happy here and he loves it. And I say that my three little, I have a Cocker Spaniel, a Shizu, and a Boxer. And I always say they have their own livestock guardian dog. <laughs> and they just, um, it's been a really interesting experience and um, firsthand learning <laughs> what <Yeah>. it's like. <laughs> yeah. uh, so I still, I still wouldn't automatically just anybody that wanted it, um, but it, it just depends on the situation. And I have another family that has one that um, they've actually done the, she's a, a Marima, um, but they did the AKC, or is it called AKC Good Citizens uh-huh. something, where they do all these certain things and then they get certified that they learn. She, she just, this person came to me wanting a companion, Marimba. Now she has chickens, so technically she has livestock, but she wanted it as a companion for her daughter and it was going to live in her house, but she wanted, if it went outside, not to chase her chickens. So it's kind of like, you know, and she, she had never even owned owned a dog at all. And I was like, oh no, uh-uh, you know? But she had such a plan for this dog. She knew everything she was gonna do. She was gonna take it to training. She knew, she just, she just convinced me to give it a try. And she has done wonderful with that dog. So she did the AKC Good Citizens and then she's actually had her certified as a therapy dog. Awesome. Um, so I'm just like, now I look at it more as what's the best home for my dogs yeah. because sometimes I've had a few dogs that had to come back because, you know, the person sells their farm and now they don't want to keep the dog or they can't keep the dog or, you know, barking complaints or whatever. And I'm like, I'm going to go by the best home for the puppy, mm-hmm. um, not by just some arbitrary standards. Right. Hip dysplasia is the main mm-hmm. issue with marimas and there will be breeders who will tell you oh it's not really a problem you don't really have to worry about it and that is usually because they're breeding dogs and pretending like it's not a problem um you know they don't want to spend the money or whatever on the testing and it's a problem i've known of cases of more than you know i know personally of cases of dogs that were diagnosed with severe hip dysplasia at under a year old some dogs even had to be put to sleep because of it um or just probably won't have a long you know life or a comfortable life or whatever so it's definitely a concern and um you know if you buy a livestock guardian dog you need a working dog and if you end up with a dog that is in so much pain that it can't work um that's an expensive mistake. Mm. <laughs> so there's a push that it, there's this thing that people think that livestock guardian dogs should be cheap, affordable dogs. That's a, you know, a marketing thing. Affordable. We breed affordable dogs. Can you really afford a dog that's going to have, you know, debilitating hip dysplasia or other problems, um, be in pain? You might have to put it to sleep. You might have to find a new dog. You know, your animals won't be protected. Um, so that's the main one and the main way to protect against that is to is to hip test your dogs and make sure you're only breeding dogs with you know really good scores um all my dogs that are that i'm breeding i have dogs that i haven't bred yet but all the dogs i'm breeding have had their pin hips Mm -hmm. and they're all well below way below average like they're really their scores are way better than average um and then there's like you can do the embark testing for you know some of those other um things and you can do elbow elbow dysplasia and things like that but primarily hip dysplasia is the biggest one to watch out for with um, marimas and very important Mm -hmm. very very important i don't know i've always been drawn to australian shepherds i think they're really pretty dogs and i think they have enough of a little bit of hurting but not like quite as 
I mean, I don't know personally, but it seems like they're not quite as intense as like a border collie. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think they're pretty cool dogs. But in, in some days when I'm out there trying to chase my goats around and get them to go where I want them to go, I say, I wish I had a part-time herding dog yeah. <laughs> that could just come in and, you know, help me get the goats over wherever I want them. But I don't have enough work for a herding dog and I don't, I, I don't, I wouldn't want to have a herding dog out with my livestock guardian dogs because I think that could be problematic. It might be okay if you have a really big ranch, but mm-hmm. on a smaller place, I think, you know, it would be too much um, conflict. They, they might, the guardian dogs might learn some bad habits or they might fight with the dog because it's doing the wrong things or whatever. So, and I have four dogs in my house already. So, yeah. So, so I don't, I probably won't ever have one. That's the breed I always thought I would have when I finally bought my farm. Right. But um, I just, I ended up um, with Marimba's and fell in love with them. Even my husband, he never liked dogs. Our whole marriage, he just complained about our dogs. He, why he married a dog crazy person, I don't know. But he thought he would, he thought he would get me to not um, you know, to, to kind of tone it down, and I didn't. And so he just was always, ah, I can't stand dogs, you know. And when we got these marimas, and he started watching them and seeing how they work and, you know, paying attention, he, people tell you it's the marimas that got him to love dogs. And now he loves dogs. He loves our house dogs. He loves the marimas. Um, he's a little bit intimidated by them, but he doesn't walk into my pastures by himself but he just really respects them you know he he knows what they do and he just thinks it's amazing and i think that woke him up and he realized i think he thought that all dogs were the same and he realized they're not there's a lot of variety and a lot of specialized you know they do all different types of jobs and whatever so yeah no that's <laughs> turned a good him into a, that's a great story what is it like breeding goats? What's the difference between breeding goats and dogs? Um, well, <laughs> I've come to realize that breeding goats is not very profitable. Okay. <laughs> and it's a lot of work. I really love my goats. I've always loved goats. I, 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 I had a, somebody brought in some, some I think they, Nubian goats um, from a dairy when I was working at my dog grooming job when I was a teenager and you know they just didn't want the little weathers and so here's a, here's a goat do you want it and that's when I first fell in love with them so I've always loved them I had a couple of them here and there as pets and then when we lived in Virginia I had Nubian goats there um, so I knew when I was going to get my farm that I was going to have goats um, and I but I wanted smaller goats so that's where I found out about Nigerians but I always loved the Nubian look and the Nubian personality and all that. So I found out about many Nubians and I was like, Oh, I got to have some of those. Um, so I started out with the goats, just planning to have them for milking for my own family. But I found out that they actually are pretty, you know, sell pretty well and they're fun and whatever. So I just started from there. I started with six goats and now I don't really know how many I have because it kind of fluctuates, but it's probably around 75 wow. adult goats. And I'll have like, usually I'll have 100 to 120 kids because I have, a, a, I have a, a, a spring season where I have most of my babies and then I'll have a fall season of Nigerians because Nigerians can breed year round. So I might have another 20 or 30 in the fall of those. Um, so it just kind of, it built because I was building my herd and I was um keeping kids and bringing in new stock and selling other ones and whatever but the more I've gotten into breeding the marimas I love my goats and I always want to breed them but I'll probably end up I keep saying this and I never do it but <laughs> cutting back um because they're just they they sell well my kids you know I sell my goats for a lot more money than a lot of people do and they sell well but goats are kind of high maintenance <laughs> um they get sick more often than a lot of the animals you know they're prone to pneumonia and parasites which i don't have a lot of parasite problems here but a lot of people do um pneumonia is a problem um 
they waste a lot of hay. <laughs> so, uh, you know, they're, you see all that expensive hay you bought on the floor and they're peeing on it. Um, <laughs> you know, you're like, that's my, my hay guy will say, your goats won't waste this hay. This is prime quality dairy alfalfa. And I'm like, you watch them. <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> they will. But we live, where we live, we don't really have pastures because we don't get rain. Um, we only get rain kind of in the wintertime. So, I have to buy hay year-round. That's My goats don't have grass to eat, or they don't really eat grass. They eat, uh, you know, trees, hair browsers. But we just don't have um, that for them to eat very much. So they, so I'm, it's expensive to feed them. I think last year I probably spent almost as much on hay as I made on selling the kids. So I, I probably will. Um, as I'm breeding the dogs more, I want to just put more into the dogs. So I'm going to try to, like, cut my herd back to the ones I really really love the most and the best quality and all that and have smaller kidding seasons but also here's another thing that I've really encountered is my goats are extremely valuable to me as puppy trainers mm-hmm. and every time they have babies I lose them as puppy trainers because you don't put baby puppies with baby goats um, it's just not appropriate, you know. Mm-hmm. When the puppies are teeny tiny, three or four weeks old, you can. But once the puppies get, you know, a little bit bigger, it's just it's not safe. You know, they're 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 just puppies and they're rough and tumble, and you know they could hurt the babies. So every time my goats have um, babies, then I lose them for three or four months. I can't have them as puppy trainers. So probably I'm going to just have. <laughs> I I finally realized. I just need to like not breed all my goats every season, every year. So I leave some back as puppy trainers, or maybe I'll just keep some specifically for training puppies and then keep some for breeding and sell some of the other ones. So um, you just can't do everything and do everything really well. And over time, I've, I love the goats and I always want to have them and I always want to have some baby goats around. I want to milk the goats and all that, but I just want to concentrate more on the dogs um, well, I, I haven't actually made a profit because I put everything back yeah. in like mm-hmm. I'm always we need more fencing I built this building I spent a million dollars on the building but I paid for all of it and you know cash flowed all of it I did not go in any debt for anything mm-hmm. um, so I, but I just continually put everything back yeah. into the, the, the program but it's like I say I have to I'm always pushing to keep my prices as high as I can. I'm always improving and whatever. And I'm like, if I don't at least break even, I can't stay in business. Mm-hmm. So I can't serve somebody down the road if I gave everybody here a deal. You know, there's so many people, no matter what their business is, that they, oh, I don't want to make too much money. I want to help people. I want to give people affordable puppies and whatever. And I'm like, but you can't, you won't be there next year yeah. or five years from now you know like and I want to be there it took me forever to have this business I was 50 years old before I finally got my farm because my husband's Navy career he was in the Navy for 40 years um so it took me forever to have it and I'm going to enjoy it as long as I can no No, I I appreciate that how much last year when I I sell as many as I can and then they get to weaning age and then I start trying to like go ahead and you know I had my trainer friend in Oregon I sent about a dozen with her to her ranch to help her train dogs um I was giving some of them to goat customers who'd already bought puppies or bought goats for me here you want another one here's you know you can have them and then I also gave some of them as puppy trainers which was really great because if somebody was buying a puppy and they didn't have um a lot of livestock because a lot of people are just starting their farm Mm -hmm. um so I would say these these goats are already used to dogs you know they're used to the marimas and I would just give them some goats um some weathers for their uh, puppies so so now that's my thing is go ahead and sell as many as you can for as much as you can but then when you get to this point um with the boys i don't give away girls because somebody's always going to want you know i i'll sell older does i'll sell bred does i'll sell does that just that are you know just had kids and they're in milk um mm-hmm. but the boys that's <laughs> and i don't i don't have a problem with people eating goats for meat but i don't prefer it um i don't do it and i don't want to 
sell. That's just not what I want to sell my kids for. So um, I try to find them pet homes as much as possible. I think there's a lot of people that are, and I've encountered this. I, I remember feeling this way myself that are halfway afraid of livestock guardian dogs because there's so much, um, so much misinformation out there. There's not a lot of information about them to begin with. And then there's a lot of misinformation and a lot of crazy stuff, especially like on social media and whatever. And I remember feeling like, Oh, kind of, I don't know, you know, being kind of nervous and afraid of, um, my first dog or two, you know, Mm -hmm. like, and and the more I live with them, the more I realize they're just dogs, you know, they're still, um, they're different in ways, but, I don't know. So, yeah. Um, enjoy them. <laughs> you know, you can really enjoy them. They can still do their job, but you can enjoy their company and really build a relationship with them. And so, yeah. I think it really depends on the, the situation, the dedication of the owner, the dog itself. Um, I'm sure there's a lot of lifestyle guardian dogs who aren't happy as companions and they, they just, um, want to be outside and you know whatever um, and you do have to take things into consideration like nobody's just going to walk in your house <laughs> you know <laughs> you have to be properly introduced <laughs> so you have to understand <laughs> stuff like that um yep and it's it's a little different you know if your dog if your if your livestock garden dog is out in your pasture most of the time people aren't just walking into your pasture without permission but if they're, they're in your house you know, and somebody, I had my vet was over doing something with one of my dogs and her, um, her tech came in to help me look for something in the house or looking for a extension cord or something. And he just walked in and Titus was like, whoa, you know, and he just, he, he surprised him. There's a strange man in my house, mm-hmm. you know, and I just kind of grabbed his collar and said, okay, let's go over here, Titus. But once he meets you and gets to know you, he loves everybody, yeah. but I don't ever, I don't even lock my doors because nobody's going to get on my place. First of all, they're not even going to get on the place without all my dogs warning me. And then they're sure as heck not coming in the house. So. Yep. 